Well, take your Bibles. Turn with me again to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I had someone come to me after the service last week, and they had their little Joshua book, uh, and they wanted to know exactly how many sermons I'm preaching for every chapter because they didn't want to fill up the book too quickly. And I understand that. I feel you in that. I would say this. It is my goal particularly as we get to chapter 2, one uh, sermon for every chapter going up pretty much until chapter 10, and then we'll do some larger chunks. But you do need to give me the freedom this morning to preach two sermons from chapter 1, if I can do that. There is something that we must understand this morning in order for us to move forward. So if you used up all your space last week, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. I read a book a few years ago in which a question was posed. And I don't know why it is, but from that moment on, I have not been able to stop thinking about this question. It comes back to my mind often, and particularly this week, as I was meditating on Joshua chapter 1, I couldn't help but to think once again about the question that was posed. Listen to this question. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth, And all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? The question is this. Would you be satisfied if you had all of the blessings of God but did not have God himself? You may remember that this was actually an option for the people of God at one point. It was in Exodus chapter 32 in which Moses went up to the mountain to receive the law. And as he was up there receiving the law, uh, the people began to put some pressure on his assistant Aaron and they, at the end of it, gathered up all of their gold and they formed a golden calf and they began to worship the golden calf saying, this is the one who delivered us out of Egypt. And Joshua, Moses' assistant, heard what was going out, uh, going on below the mountain and called Moses and said, Moses, there's a war that's going on. And Moses says, no, that's not a war. I believe the people have broken loose. And they go down to find exactly what Moses suspected, that the people were worshiping a golden calf just after the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. Now, just after that, in Exodus 33, the Lord says this to them. He says, listen, I will give you the land, as promised, the land flowing with milk and honey, and I will give you all of the blessings of the land, and I will drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and you will be able to go and possess the land, but I will not go with you. You are a stubborn and rebellious generation, and so I will not go. It tells us in Exodus 33 that when the people heard this disastrous news, they mourned. Moses then began to plead with the Lord, saying this, Moses, if you don't go, saying to the Lord, if you do not go with us, don't send us. We we don't want to go if you don't go with us. It's just so interesting in the midst of this faithless generation who constantly mourned and constantly complained, they still had a basic understanding that all of the blessings of God do not take the place of the joy 
of knowing God himself. And I just have to wonder that if given this option of receiving all of the blessings of God without God, if we might still in some ways feel satisfied, or if we, like Moses and the people of God, understand that the only reason heaven is heaven is because God is there. That heaven is not heaven because of the absence of sickness and the absence of conflict. Heaven is glorious because of the presence of God. If we found out that we could have all of his blessings without his presence, would we mourn as they did? Would we say with Moses, Lord, if you're not going with us, we don't want to go at all. This morning, I want to take just a moment from Joshua chapter 1 and talk about the presence of the Lord. And I want to do it for two reasons. I want to do it, first of all, for a biblical reason. Because we cannot read Joshua 1 without acknowledging over and over and over again the reference to the presence of the Lord. Because the glory of Eden, the life that God intended for us to have, was that God was there, and the people had a perfect relationship with God. That's what made Eden, Eden. And where God is leading us is back into that life as he intended it to be. But what makes heaven glorious is that God is there. And the only joy and the only peace that we ever experience in the midst of this broken world is what we experience when we're close with the Lord. Biblically, we have to understand that we were created for the presence of God, and where we are headed is the presence of God, that life as it was meant to be is found in his presence. So biblically, we we must understand this. But I also want to talk about this for a pastoral reason. Everything I believe about the church and everything that I'm doing in order to lead us in a certain direction all revolves around my understanding of the presence of the Lord. It is just so deep inside of my soul and my understanding of what it means to experience the presence of God that it's important for us as we're moving together to be moving in the same direction, to understand the centrality of God's presence in what we want to see God do. It is so significant for us to have even a common vocabulary so we know what we mean when we talk about the Lord being with us. We know what we mean when we pray that the Lord would be present with us. It is very important for us to move forward with this understanding. And Joshua 1 is a great place for us to think about that. So look with me at Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, focusing specifically on the two times, once in verse 5 and once in verse 9, in which the presence of the Lord is mentioned. If you're there in Joshua 1, say amen. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Here it is. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or be dismayed. Here it is again. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now look at verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now if you continue to read on, you would find in chapter 3 once again a reminder from the Lord to Joshua of his presence going with him. If you read a few more chapters, you would see in chapter 7 in which the Lord threatens to remove his presence because there is sin in the camp and they have not dealt with the sin. And the Lord says, if you do not deal with the sin, I will not be with you and go with you. So this is a theme throughout the book of Joshua and is a theme throughout the entire scripture. And I want to take some time to look at that one little phrase in verse 5 where it says, I will be with you. He says it again in verse 9. The Lord your God is with you. In verse 17, only may the Lord be with you. I don't know why I remember this, but I remember in seminary, a first-year seminary student, and by the way, I love seminary students. We are actually doing more and more to try to uh, be a place where seminary students can come and maybe receive some credit from being here. So I love seminary, but I have to tell you, first-year seminary students are just the worst because they think they know everything and they know nothing. Uh, but I remember as a first, I, was, I wasn't like that, but I remember as a first year seminary student being in a prayer meeting in which someone was just pleading with the Lord that the Lord would be with us. Lord, just be with us. We want you with us. Would you just be with us? And I remember thinking, he's with us. Like he's just, he's here. I mean, my understanding is that the Lord is omnipresent, that he's just everywhere. And I could not understand why we would spend so much time praying for the Lord to be with us when I was fairly confident that somewhere he was around, that he was just here. But it was not long after that in which I learned the difference between the omnipresence of the Lord and the manifest presence of the Lord. The omnipresence of the Lord and the manifest presence of the Lord. Now, the omnipresence of the Lord means this, is that God is present everywhere at the same time with no exceptions. God is at all times everywhere in all places with no exceptions. And I could lead you to a hundred verses that will tell you that that is true. One of the most familiar is Psalm 139, where it says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. And Psalm 139 continues to go on, making the point that it is impossible to flee from the presence of the Lord. Oh, the foolishness of those who try to run from God. Everywhere, 
God is present, the omnipresence of the Lord. So if God is omnipresent, if he is all places at all times, why is it in Joshua 1, three times the Lord says, Joshua, I will be with you? It's because there's a difference in the omnipresence of the Lord and the manifest presence of the Lord. The manifest presence of the Lord is God relationally and experientially present among us. Some have often called it the felt presence of God. It is God revealing himself. I like to say it this way. It is God showing up and God showing off. The manifest presence of God is when you know that God is present, not because he has promised his omnipresence, but because you have seen him move. You have watched him work. You have acknowledged By what is happening around you, God is relationally with you. He is manifesting himself among us. And if you would just think about this, you know that there's a difference in the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God. You know that God is there all of the time. But if you have walked with God for any amount of time, you will acknowledge there are moments in which you see God work. There are moments in which you watch as God moves. You feel his presence. It's experiential. God moves in our midst. I mean, I was just thinking about this last night, not because of anything last night, but because I just, I just thought about how husbands and wives understand this. That it is possible for your spouse to be present in the house, but not present. Again, no, last night was great. It wasn't, it was, I just... Just, I just thought, I just had this thought. That presence doesn't mean felt presence. Presence doesn't mean manifest presence. That there is a difference in the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God. Now in verse 5 of Joshua 1, the Lord is not speaking of his omnipresence. He's not saying, Joshua, I am in all places at all times, therefore be assured of this. I will also be there no matter what you do. That was not the encouragement that Joshua needed. No, the Lord was saying this to Joshua. Joshua, I will manifest myself to you as you walk in strength and courage and obedience. You will feel my presence. My presence will be known to you. My presence will be obvious. I will be showing up and I will be showing off. And you know that because of what he says here. Look at verse 5. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So the type of presence he's referring to is the experience that Moses had. And so as I began to think about this, I just went back and started to read about Moses' experience of God. That there is no time in anyone's life in which God has not been omnipresent, but how is it that Moses experienced God? And I thought about at the very beginning in Exodus 3 when Moses was minding his own business, keeping his flocks, and he noticed that a bush was burning but was not consumed. And a voice came out of the bush, and the fire of the bush was a picture of the manifest presence of God. By the way, fire is almost always seen throughout Scripture as a picture of the manifest presence of God. You see it in Acts 2. You see it in 1 Kings when Elijah calls down fire from heaven. But a voice came and said, Moses, I want you to be the one to lead my people out of Egypt. And his response is, well, who am I? And Moses needed some confidence. And you know what the Lord's response was? I will be with you. 
And then Moses says, but Lord, I, I don't speak well. I, 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 have a, I have a problem in my speech. To which the Lord responds, I will be with your mouth. And all along the way, every single moment of the journey of Moses you saw this manifestation of the power of God throughout his life. When they needed deliverance from Pharaoh, God showed up. When they needed a miracle, and they were standing at the edge of the Red Sea with an army of Egyptians behind them, God showed up. When they needed water, God showed up. When they needed instruction, God showed up. When they needed leadership, God led them with his manifest presence in a cloud by day and fire by night. The entire journey of the people of God was the felt presence of God. God not just out there somewhere, but God relationally and experientially with his people, leading them every step of the way. And what the Lord says to Joshua is this. Joshua, I know you were Moses' assistant and you saw the way in which I was with Moses. You saw the way in which I met with him face to face. You saw the way in which I gave him wisdom. You saw the way in which I gave him direction. You saw the way in which I gave him leadership. You saw the fact that God is a real God that wants you to experience him. In that same way, I will be with you. Is that just a little bit more encouraging than the omnipresence of God. There is some serious application to the omnipresence of God, but what this is talking about is what it means when we walk with God on a daily basis and see him move and experience his presence among us when we know what it is like to experience the felt presence of God. And just think about what Joshua was feeling at this moment and why he needed this word. He just got the word that Moses was dead. And we talked about this last week, but the heaviness of that and the weight of that and how all they had ever known was the leadership of Moses. But the reason that that was not devastating news is because Moses was not the hero of the previous generation. God was the hero of the previous generation. So if God was the one that led them, and God was the one that took them across the Red Sea, and that same God is with Joshua, there is no reason to be discouraged or afraid because the same God that led Moses is the same God that's about to lead Joshua. You see, if the hero of the story is anything but God, then all of your success rests upon you, but the hero of the story is always God. So Joshua feels an incredible sense of empowerment. Why? Because God is promising to be with him. You know, as I, as I walked back and took the time to walk through the story of the people of God and how Moses led them and God's presence, I, I began to notice a theme. The theme went something like this. The people walk with God just the way he tells them to, and they find themselves in an overwhelming circumstance. Now, they're following God, so overwhelming, difficult circumstances are not an evidence that you've missed God. Can I hear an amen on that? So they follow God, and God just takes them to a place where they don't have anything to drink, and they find themselves at a place where they don't have anything to eat, and they find themselves at the edge of the Red Sea and an army coming out that God just continually puts them in overwhelming situations. And the reason he does it time and time again is because God wants to make sure that every single person understands that it is God's presence that is the secret. It is not their strength and not their power. 
And just think about what's happening in Joshua 1. Look, look at verse 2. We have a tendency just to read these things over. But it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people. Can I just, can I just explain what he says here? What he's saying is this. Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 2.5 million people, including a massive amount of children. Remember, this is a younger generation. And all I want you to do is make sure all of them get across the Jordan River and then go take all of the cities on the other side of the Jordan River, destroy them, and inhabit that land. Like, I think we're so used to seeing in Joshua at the Battle of Jericho that we just kind of, this wasn't a big deal. Taking 2.5 million people across the Jordan River is a fairly significant feat. But Joshua doesn't seem to bat an eye. We know this from what he says in verse 10. Why? Because he had the assurance of God's presence. That was the key to his strength and his courage. That's exactly what you see in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or be dismayed. That word frightened means do not tremble. Dismayed means to not be broken or, or beat down. Now one of the things the Lord showed me many years ago is the presence of a promise in Scripture always points us to the reality of a potential problem. Does that make sense? Like we always love the promises, but the fact that that promise exists knows that God knows there's going to be some situation in which we need that promise. So when the Lord says, do not frighten or be dismayed, what he knows is this. This is going to be a frightening situation. You are about to go into a potentially overwhelming situation. If it wasn't that way, God wouldn't need to say over and over, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, be strong and courageous. No, the Lord knows this is about to be a very big deal. The potential is there of a lot of fear, a sense of brokenness, a sense of being beat down. God is about to lead Joshua to lead the people into an overwhelming situation. And that is not evidence that God is not with them. It is evidence that God is with them because what God wants to do is put them right in the middle of a situation that they can't handle in order for him to show his power and his glory. He says, Joshua, you have everything you need not because of anything that you have, but because of this one promise, I will go with you. Now look at the third time it's brought up in verse 17. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Can we just stop right there? I, I've often thought that, that that passage was meant to be funny. Have you, have you read the story of, of Moses? Like, these, these people were awful. I mean, they constantly grumbled. They constantly complained. They really weren't with Moses that well. Like, I, I just don't feel like Joshua felt any sense of comfort from this. I mean, you know, I don't even know if the, the search committee probably doesn't even know this, but when they first contacted me, and then after a while it got a little bit more serious, you know what I did? I literally got on the Internet and found every church in the Athens area, and I called and called the pastor. And I said, can you tell me the reputation of Prince Avenue Baptist Church? I called people in Atlanta and I said, can you tell me the reputation of Prince Avenue Baptist Church? I just kind of wanted to know what people thought about Prince Avenue. I'm not going to tell you what they said, but I'm just telling you, it was all good. I'm here. It was all good. Now listen, if you're, if you're talking to Joshua about the reputation of the people that fought, they were horrible. 
They constantly grumbled. They constantly complained. They were never satisfied. And yet here they say, Joshua, don't worry. It's all going to be fine. In the same way we followed Moses, we're going to do the exact same for you, to which Moses is going, oh, God. (laughs) And so this next phrase, I, I don't know exactly how to take it. And honestly, reading every commentary, no one seems to agree whether this is a threat, a blessing, or a fact, where it says, only may the Lord your God be with you. I, I think, I think it, it, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're saying, listen, we'll follow you if God's with you. I think what it is is this. I think it was an assurance of the people's understanding that Joshua, we know, and we think that you know, that we will follow you. And we do believe in this generation that we can do things that the previous generation didn't do. We also stand right here right before we're about to cross this river and fight these battles, that the only hope we have is that God is with us. Be given in the midst of the previous faithless generation, that one thing they still seem to understand, that the only hope we have is if God goes with us. You come to the end of chapter one and you see the three references to the presence of God. I think the point that the Lord is trying to make is this simple point. That the presence of God is the only source of real life and the only hope of real success. The presence of God is the only source of real life and the only hope of real success. Joshua is about life and success. It is the people of God moving into life as God intended it to be. It is about God's desire for them to be a success, meaning experiencing life as God intended it and accomplishing everything God has for you to accomplish. That's success. How is it that we move into life? How is it that we move into success? The answer is this. The presence of God is the only source of real life and the only hope of real success. And what was true of Joshua's generation is true of ours as well. Listen to me. The presence of God is your only source of real life. And the presence of God is your only hope for real success. If you want to experience life as God intended it to be, it comes from the presence of the Lord, walking moment by moment and experiencing God. If you want to live a life of real success, the only hope of that, of taking hold of everything God has for you, is the presence of God with you. This is true for us as a church, and it's true for us as individuals. I mean, can we just think about Acts 1 and 2 for just a minute? So you have these disciples led really by Peter, who at the end of the Gospels was asked if he knew Jesus at the moment in which it seems Jesus needed him most, and he denied Jesus because of a little girl. He was terrified, and three times he denied Jesus. And all of a sudden you come to Acts 2, and Peter is up here preaching with incredible boldness, And 3,000 people get saved. And you say, what's the difference? How did God take this person and make him into this person? And the answer is the beginning of Acts 2, when God showed up. When the very presence of God invaded the hearts and lives of the early church, then God moved. Peter and his boldness was not the answer. It was the very presence of God in them. I mean, the whole book of Acts is a reminder to the church of what God can do with ordinary people who are ready to be holy and hungry and get filled up with the presence of God. 
And this is why we pray as a church, Isaiah 64, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence in the same way that fire kindles brush and fire boils water. God, we want you to come down and demonstrate your fire among us. Listen, because the only hope that Prince Avenue Baptist Church has of doing anything for the kingdom of God is if we as a people seek God's presence. You know, I think, about, I think about Moses and Joshua, and I, I think about the difference in their giftings and their abilities, and what you realize is that none of that really matters that much. What matters is that they have the same God who is always longing to show off. But he does it with a hungry, humble people. And the reason I come to you with a pastoral concern is because as a church, what we seek more than we seek anything is the presence of God among us. And listen, do you know that that's exactly true of you as an individual? Do you know that, that God, in his sovereign plans, is going to continue to lead you into overwhelming and difficult situations, not because he's against you, but it could be exactly because he's for you, and what he wants to do with your life is make your life a picture of what God can do when someone longs for his presence. God longs to manifest his power and his glory through your life and he will continue to put situations in your life where you're standing at the edge of the Red Sea with an army behind you when the diagnosis is greater than you can imagine, when the people demand more patience than you have, when the situation needs more wisdom than it has. All of those things are God saying to you, look to me. That you will find in my presence everything you need. Listen, that feeling that it's more than you can handle is so that you might see that it is not more than God can handle. That feeling that you are not sufficient is to drive you to the one who is always sufficient for every circumstance. God wants you to experience his presence. He has so designed life that nothing will ever satisfy you but him. He has so designed life that everything in life requires more than you possess. So that God might display his glory through you. So what is our response to this? Well, our response is that of 1 Chronicles 16, 11, where it says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Listen, you don't just need God in the difficult moments. You need God every moment of the day. And the reason you need him every moment of the day is because your ability to experience life as God intended moment by moment depends upon your intimacy with Jesus. You don't just need him for later, you need him right now. God wants you to get a little taste of what it means to live real life. He wants to give you a little taste of what it means to overcome those overwhelming circumstances. And all of that simply is a result of your willingness to go after God. To say, God, I want you. More than I want anything else, I want you to seek his presence continually. There are some of you this morning who find yourself in a situation that demands more than you have. Listen, and you're exhausted because you have done everything you know to do, but you have yet to go to the Lord. There's some of you that cannot figure out why you're not experiencing life as God intended it. It's because you're missing one thing, and it is God himself. And God this morning is pleading with you to come hungry and humble and get the only thing that will ever satisfy you and the only hope of real success. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.